Now, would you please join me in welcoming our guest moderator, film critic and screenwriter, Eddie Harrison, with guests Irvin Welsh, Robin Hayden, and Adam Sinclair. Uh, hello and welcome to the Apple Store in Glasgow and to this special podcast uh, for Irvin Welsh's Ecstasy. Uh, we have the man himself here and we also have Rob, the director, and Adam, the star of the film, uh, to discuss. Well, gentlemen, can I welcome you all to the Apple Store? Thank you. Um, what we're going to do, first of all, is have a look at a clip of the film and then I'm going to ask you each about your involvement with it. It's been a long time coming and I, I want to get into the, the Meet the Filmmakers business of exactly why it's taken so long and how you feel about it now to get it up on the screen. Methylene dioxymethamphetamine. Eckies. Disco biscuits. Super Marios. White doves. The club drug. The hug drug. The love drug. X. E. MDMA. 100% pure ecstasy. That's me. Lloyd Buist, your humble narrator and funky soul brother fighting a good fight, rallying the troops onto the floor and into a trance. main man on the decks is in fine form tonight, pulling away our collective psychic sex organs. This is a game and we're all going for it. The music is in us and everywhere and I'm riding this rocket to Russia, serotonin and dopamine till the end of time. I'm thinking now's the time to fall in love. Not with the world, but that one special her. Just do it. Do it now. Right now. This is just another form of entertainment. So, Irvin, if I can start with you, can you tell us a little bit about the process of writing Ecstasy? Where did it come from? You've said that the process for each one of your books is slightly different. Yeah, I mean, it was basically about kind of um, kind of being fucked up and go, going to go out clubbing and just having all this kind of energy and trying to try to kind of get a wee bit of that kind of that that kind of acid house kind of sort of club scene vibe into you know into the writing. And it's like to, to me, it's like the the the, the writing's always got off. It's got it's got a beat. It's got off like bang, bang, bang. A kind of four, four to the floor beat. And it's like uh, you know you, you do that and then you put the, the the effects over the top of that, like you know. And it's, I, I was just like so energized by that scene because I was like, um, you know, I, I was like kind of. Uh, I mean, I know, I know you, you you wouldn't actually think it now to look at me, but I was actually quite fucked up in the in the eighties, like you know. And uh, I kind of I got into all this kind of sort of uh, mess with heroin, 
So I was kind of, I was very gun shy about drugs, like you know. It's like when I got into the uh, the, the acid house thing. I mean, you had to, you had to actually physically. My friend Susan Smith gave me a, an ecstasy pill, but she had to actually physically fucking push it down my throat and all that. And I'm going, no, 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 this is too, too much, man. And so, and it, it kind of did get me banging in and getting back into that kind of sort of groove again, like you know. And I thought, like, uh, I, mean, I, I try to do things with music. I try to do things with, uh, and, and, and to me, the writing was the kind of was making sense of that scene and realizing that kind of scene, basically. I, you know, I kind of wanted to um, to be sort of, um, I don't know, I, I kind of wanted to, I suppose it's like a, a, a horrible fucking crass thing to say. And Adam, you were, you were at the art shows and all that kind of stuff, and you, he was in this, 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 is, this is a horrible thing for an actor to say, like, he was in the same scene as me. <laughs> He's about 40 years younger than me, like, but he was, a, he, was, he, he was a young pup and all that in the scene. And I was, I was, I was the old sleazebag, kind of firing all the fit young birds and all that, and he was like, kind of, uh, uh, <laughs> I was getting jealous but, but, of but you. But beyond that, but beyond that, we're moving <laughs> on, like, yeah. but it was like, kind of, um, but to, to me, it's like I wanted to, I wanted to write, write about that scene of that life and affirm that life. Because I think to me, it was a f- massively important fucking social history part of Britain, like yeah. So once you'd written that social history, there's three stories in, in, in ecstasy. The undefeated is the one that, that Rob chose to make. Yeah. How did that uh, connection come about then, where the two of you worked together? Well, didn't work together. I think to it was with Keith, was it? Yeah, the, Keith the, the, uh, the, Wyatt was a Canadian writer who adapted into a play, and he had approached me about uh, developing the film from the play. And when I read the script that he had written, it was it was mostly a play. It wasn't very visual, so it it turned out he had the rights uh, for the for the play, but not for the film. So I asked him to connect me with Irving, and I came over during the Edinburgh Festival and met him just before. Uh, a play called Filth with Tam Dean Byrne and so uh, I met him and and told him the ideas of you know (laughs) what we had planned for the undefeated and that it was sort of a transformational story not that the drugs don't work but just it's not sustainable in the long term and uh, he liked that idea and said yeah sure sounds great let's do it and I mean personally I, I had an affinity to the project because Growing up in Toronto, we're very close to New York and Detroit and Chicago. And, uh, you know, at 13 years old, I was in nightclubs dancing to house music all night. So I kind of knew the lay of the land and then got into do directing music videos for uh, like John Digweed and uh, Richie Houghton, who's a DJ plastic man and so on. So, um, you know, I love the story. I was a big fan of Train Spotting and the Acid House and I read a lot of Irvin's books. So. So once you'd taken that, that step, how, how soon did you get involved with uh, Adam? How, when did he come on board? I think it took a year for Random House to get back to me with a short-form two-page option, and then another year for Random House to get back to me with a long-form option. And then once we had the long-form option, it was like we had the legal right to move forward and develop it. And it took... That was 2002, so it took a couple years to get a script right that Irving gave us the thumbs up for. And then we started casting, and we had financed the film uh, and started casting in London. We met Adam and Billy and a number of other actors. And Gordon Brown changed the tax rules overnight, so our financing fell apart. And then we had to go back to the drawing board and you know, start mm-hmm. over. Um, so Adam, when you 
were approached to get involved? I mean, you, obviously you'd be aware of train well, spotting and the acid. Well, I was. I was at drama school just up the road at the Royal Scottish Academy uh, when train spotting came out, and it was a big cultural phenomenon. I think I even had blood hair at the time, and uh, Renton, uh, sorry, not Renton, but Sick Boy had blood hair, so it was all this big comparison thing. And uh, it was very, as I say, a cultural phenomenon. Nervin really wrote it with his finger on the pulse of what was happening at the time. As he said, you know, I was the kid on top of the speaker. I was the guy around our uh, chaos dancing in the cage. I was down at the arches, you know, every night. It was a bit nostalgic going back there last night for the after party. So when that came out, everybody was like, yes, this, is, this guy's talking about us. He's talking about our language. And uh, so then, then obviously, Trainspotting took course and uh, done wonders for all the, everybody that was involved in it. And then, so as an actor coming out in the world, I mean, you couldn't wish for a better vehicle to come along. And I'd come out, I'd been working on a TV show for a few years, and I'd come out of that, and I auditioned for Rob, and then I never heard anything for two years. And I remember saying to my friend at the time, I said, if I don't, there's so many similarities in the script to my own personal life, the relationships, the things he was doing. And I thought, well, if I don't play this, I might as well give up acting, because I'm crap. <laughs> and then, so I never heard anything for two years, and I thought, well, maybe I better give it up. And then, and then I got a phone call, and Rob says, look, you got the part. And then it was another four years of development before we actually got to camera. Um, so... By the time we were all standing uh, on set the day we first turned over the camera, there was me and Rob looking at each other, Irvin was sitting off to the side and we're about to turn over in the first shot and we always went, God, we're here, we're about to do it, we're actually about to make the movie. So that was a bit of a euphoric experience in itself to just get there and to get a film made. I mean, independent filmmaking, it's such a, there's so many pitfalls in it. And uh, we got there when we made the film, so it was good. Well, I guess the one thing that is like kind of, uh, it's like, you know, it's like Rob, he, he did this for, for 10 years, basically. He, he kind of fought for it for 10 years. Ashley supported him all the way. These two guys just m really made this thing happen. And he, just, and, the, and, he, and he never compromised. He never compromised. It's like kind of... Uh, and it's like the, 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 the script attracted a lot of heat and a lot of, a lot of big stars. And he just, nah, I want, I want this guy to fucking do this movie. And he never fucking... He never compromised on that, which is an amazing thing to do. It's a, it's a, it's a, to make his own, to make the film you want to make. It seems a, it seems a very simple thing, but the whole, the, you know, the, the politics and machinations and financing of of, of uh, film is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. I read an interview with you, Irvin, where you said that uh, you know you saw film as quite a glamorous medium. And yeah, I wondered if, in some ways, that could be at odds with telling a kind of socially realistic story. It is. I mean, it's like film is a glamorizing medium. It's just like you know, it just does. I mean, actors look better than real people, basically. You know, I mean, it's like fucking Adam's about fucking ten years younger than when he shot the film. Like, I mean, they don't, they don't age the same way. That's why they're actors, basically. A lot of night you cream know? and Tupperware <laughs> at night. You know, seal myself in. But yeah, you know, there, there, there is that. There is that kind of glamorizing kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like kind of uh, that's the reason you don't have you don't have writers on screen, basically. Like you know what I mean? But uh, it's it's like you know the, the, you know the, the the whole medium is is a glamorizing medium, and it's like you you kind of have to you have to accept that um, it's like th th this is the world we live in. This is this is what happens, and this, this is this is the kind of um, you know this is going on basically. You know, and you you, you can't you, you you can't kind of um, you can't kind of, like protest about like about cinema, basically. You know, you, just, you, you accept what it is. Can I ask you, in, in terms of when you're making the film, did you worry about whether you were glamorising drug drug culture, or did you feel that the, the it was even-handed in the way that you were dealing with I think, it? I think I think I just button on that. I mean, are we glamorising it? Or are we are we are we talking about life? Because if you if you don't think it's going on out there, then you're an idiot. You know, that's life, that's what's happening. And Irvin wrote a book based on life experience, based on my life experience, based on his own life experience. 
Um, yeah, the film will glamorize that somewhat because it's a glamorous media. But other than that, you're, you're creating a slice of life and that's your job as an actor and as a filmmaker to do these things and to try and sort of take that and, 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 and present it to people and say, look, this is what's going on. He writes about the story that's going on in Edinburgh, but presenting it to the rest of the world. But it's, it's, it is also fucking glamorous. Taking drugs yeah. is fucking glamorous. That's why people do yeah. it. Like you know, what I mean, it's like fucking. I, mean, I, I wouldn't be fucking touching him up and all that and fueling him up. But if, 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 if it's like, but it is. It's like you know, you you, you take me and go, oh, this is great, man. We're having a great time, by the way. It is glamorous. But what 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 else is like? What 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 else is there? I mean, everybody everybody wants compelling drama in their life. You know what I mean? It's, this, is, this is just the way we are as, as human beings. We want compelling drama in our life and all that, you know? So it's like kind of uh, that, 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 to, to it's, it's like what you were saying, Adam, is like to, to, to not kind of um, engage with that reality. It's just fucking stupid, basically. It's You'd, just be nonsense. You'd be lying. You'd be lying. I, I, think, I think in the script there is some, some differing views that give some balance to... Uh, alternative point of view from, from the main characters who are engaging and uh, participating in drug taking. What was it we were saying today? It's like a, a chemrom, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's ke a chemrom. Uh, a chemrom yeah. It's like a, a rom-com. This is a chemrom. It's the first... Uh, the, the copyright this boy. You know, <laughs> it's a chemrom. It's like, you know, it is. It's, it's a, We've it's made a the first chemrom. Yeah. The first chemrom. <laughs> this massive genre is going to... He's going to expand the stick over the world where he's like, he's, he invented the Chemrom. <laughs> I mean, it seems to be taking to over the world. Rom, that, you know, I suppose what this discussion proves is that this universal themes, used the word universal, I think that's right, universal themes in the story that are in the film as well, and which people would respond to in any country of the world because they'd recognize that as being a truth. Yeah, and it's about relationships between friends and family and, and uh, in a love story, the, the, the problems that can come up and and his uh, characters, Lloyd's relationships are, are slightly different than your average, you know, family where he's, his father's getting cancer and, and his girlfriend's left him because of his problems and there's gangsters after him because he owes money. So uh, it's not your average story. It's maybe a more uh, Irving Welsh bizarre plot, but... Um, you know, we're just trying to show a slice of life that takes place against the backdrop of clubbing in, in Edinburgh. So, and, and how did you feel playing a character that you thought was like yourself? Uh, well, um, somebody was asking me, was it a stretch to play the role? And um, when I got the script and I, I read it, I thought somebody had been following me around for a couple of years um, before I'd sort of got into acting. And um, it wasn't so much it was a stretch to play the role, but what it was, it was about letting my guard down and not acting and actually using a wee bit of myself in there and putting a wee bit of my own heart and soul into the performance. And that can be a dangerous thing in itself, to use that and to go into those places and using your own life experiences. But I was in a good environment with Rob and the filmmakers and working with Kristen, she was a fantastic actress and we all felt comfortable to go there and it was, and it was all in everybody's terms. And so it was, yeah, I spilled a little bit of my soul onto the screen as pretentious as that sounds, I don't mean it to be that way. But yeah, so it wasn't a stretch, it was, it was just being brave enough to do it. And you're filming in Canada, but you're also filming in Scotland and in Amsterdam. So how did you go about trying to capture, you know, the, the, the kind of environment of the film, given that, you know, you do have the challenge of working in, in well, different contexts? Well, I think from experience making other films like documentaries and music videos, you know how to use the medium and editing. So with the 
clever planning, we knew what we could shoot mostly interiors in, uh, in Canada for a couple of weeks and then come to Edinburgh for two weeks and shoot you know, the big club scenes with John Digweed at the Liquid Rooms in Edinburgh and uh, shoot the, all the exteriors and then go to Amsterdam. We were actually shooting in the airport in Edinburgh, but no one knew because we just had a Canon 5D and we were shooting without any permission because there's no way you're going to get permission to clear, like, a story about drug smuggling and... On the Royal Mail. <laughs> <laughs> or shooting at city centre, you know. Uh, yeah. We even uh, shot a little bit here in Glasgow. We came through to Glasgow one day with a sort of guerrilla film crew. And I say a guerrilla film crew, it was me and a cameraman. Um, and we shot little bits and bobs, and it's all pieced into the movie. You might recognise a little bit. It takes place on uh, Royal Exchange Square. Um, so, yeah, we, it was just, and that was a fantastic way to shoot. But usually when I'm on a set and I'm making something, and there's so many people on a set, and there's, there's one guy whose job it is to hold cables. You know, and, and, you've got to, and you've got unions and you've got to answer to unions. So this time it was, it was such a liberating freedom experience of just getting out there and getting what you needed, getting it in the can and, and moving on and getting the next thing. So once you've... Sorry, go on, Rob. And shooting in Amsterdam, I mean, it's hard to shoot in Amsterdam and to fake the red light district of Amsterdam would cost a fortune. So when we actually went there and shot in the red light district and there's some, you know, stuff going on in the background and you're walking through the scene, then some doorman's running after them going, hey, come back, you know, so. You, you got a camera out in the red light district that's not, doesn't go down too well. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. I've never done it myself, but I no. won't take your word for it. Um, so Irvin, at this point, are you, are you involved, do you ever turn up in the set? I mean, I know that they're shooting filth just now, and I think you were there. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you get involved um, in that way? It depends on the, the, the relationship you have. I mean, it's like kind of, um, Rob had his own thing, his own vision, it's like, uh, but Phil's a bit different because I'm one of the producers on Phil, so I'm much more kind of hands-on. A shock for you when you finally see the film, though? I mean, do you look at it and go, oh, I never saw it like that, or does it surprise you? What really got me is, like, kind of, uh, like, you know, and it, this is going to seem like a fucking old bastard talking, but it's like, it did take me back to that kind of, you know, it evoked the kind of, the grotty flats and all that. You know, I could actually, you know, and the kind of, I could actually, you know, it's like, I actually felt grun grungy watching it. I felt all this kind of like dirt coming under my fingernails and fucking <laughs> bits of cocaine debritus coming up my nostrils and fucking, the, you know, and my head fucking going. It, it really evokes it to such an extent. And uh, that, that's the power of it. It's just like, you, you know, you, you, you do get taken right back into that kind of moment. The crappy flats, the fucking, the shitey fields, the fucking, the rubbish fucking warehouses and fucking church halls and fucking stuff like that. So, you know, it does, it really brings, it really puts you right back into that point in time. Like, yeah. I certainly I, I agree with the, the, the certain nostalgia that some people will feel watching the film, but it also, you know, I think has still got a relevant message. You know, I don't think it's a period piece. I don't think it's a kind of look back at the past. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I don't think we, I don't think we really made a period piece. I think we kind of kept it universal and open. There, there was a couple references to certain periods of time that we actually cut out because we talked about it. And we didn't want to say it takes place in this year or this time. But we're using, you know, new music by Tiesto and older music by Primal Scream and Coldplay. So just to sort of mix it up a bit, you know, what year does Emily take place? Mm. Yeah. It, it's a film. I mean, that must be a shock in that, you know, you, you, one of the things I read about is you make up playlists for your characters, you know, yeah. and imagine the kind of music that they listen to. But that's a challenge when you're making a film that's set, not now, but in the past, 
but you've also got to market it to an audience these days. I mean, do, do, do you worry about that kind of thing, or do you, do you just kind of think the strength of the story will get you through? I never actually worry, mm -hmm. basically. You know? So I mean, I can't, I can't say that I worry about that thing. Like you know, um, I just think you, you, it's like you, you kind of you go with it, and it's like you know, it's kind of you, you kind of uh, in Rob we trust type of thing. Like you know, so you know, let, let, let people. Let, let people get on with their jobs, basically. Like you know, let, let Adam get on acting, let Rob get on directing, and all. Let me just stand in the background and cash your checks. Like you know, <laughs> sounds fabby. I think I think the the audience we were making it for was really primarily the kids around the world that go to clubs every weekend, and it's a universal love story for. So again, it's for younger people, and then maybe the older clubbers who were who were there in the beginning with the warehouse parties and the outdoor yeah. raves in the UK. Basically Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then a love story for the older crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just covers a lot of bases. Uh, and also the fact that Kristen Crook plays her character as a Canadian, it even makes it then more universal again and opens out to the rest of the world. So I think that's important. Like, you know, one, one of the things is the, the weird thing that kind of struck me was like um, the, the, the idea that you have a narrative and and, uh, and drug taking and drug abuse. It's like you have a you have a kind of idea that you you start off and it's brilliant and then you get fucked up. That was never there before. Like and it was always like kind of uh, oh it's just horrible. It's horrible. Fucking you know. And it's like kind of so that whole thing has changed and it's like, it really that, that landscape has changed so dramatically. And it's interesting to see that for you know, kind of and um, you know it's like kind of uh, that you know suddenly it's like the um, if this film was made like like 20 years ago, it would be this really fucking horrible, subversive thing. You know, it was like a poster. We're poster boys for fucking drugs and fun. You know in, Scotland. Yeah, in Scotland. Scotland, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think for younger people, they might see it as sort of a pro-drug film, and older people might see it as an anti-drug message. So it's really, you know, like a painting. What do you see in it? Okay. So you would say, you, you, yeah, you, you yeah. think it walks a fine line or it makes that balance between showing the truth about it but without, you know... I think people watch it and take away with it whatever they want. You know, I think there, it addresses both pro and against issues um, in sometimes the funny and serious ways in various people's relationships. And, and I think it has to because it's, 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 it's always a, it's a, it's just like this massively complex thing that we kind of get our heads around, like, you know? And I think it has to. Any, any, anything like that has to be kind of sort of um, addressing, the, addressing the issue in that complex way. Yeah. And last night you screened it in Glasgow. It previously screened at Toronto. What kind of reaction did you get from to here? I think we were a little overwhelmed that, you know, the audience last night was the best screening we've ever had for the film. It's our international premiere, and we want to have it in Scotland and and. It's the first like Adam's hometown. So. <coughs> the first film I ever worked on when I was 19 was a little short film I made for uh, the first Reels series, and, uh, and it played at the GFT. And uh, so the first thing I ever put on celluloid. And uh, so to come full circle and to come back to Glasgow, I was a little nervous. I was coming back to home crowd, and you know Glasgow can be a very warm audience, or it can be a bit, it's your peers, you know, it can be very critical. And last night they received it with open arms, and then we went to the after part of the Archies, and everybody cheers the paint and had a good laugh, and it was it was fantastic to come home and bring something I'm very proud of home. Yeah. I, th I think Toronto, they didn't really get a lot of the jokes or the re cultural references, but last night they laughed in all the right places, so it was great feedback. We couldn't help uh, hope for a better reaction from the audience. Okay, we're going to have a look at another clip from the film now. 
and then I'm going to come back, ask you about future projects, and then open it up for any questions from the audience. So can we have a look at our second clip from Ecstasy? Adam, I'm beginning to feel I recognise that dancing style from when you used to be in the It's when cage. you get a bit lazy and the hand can't quite go up, so the wee hand just sits there like that. <laughs> that that's yeah. the one that I used to see in the cage at the Arctic <laughs> when you were there, yeah? Um, so, assuming you're not going to continue with your dance career, but focus more on acting. Well, that was one of the hardest things when we were filming, was actually trying to remember the moves. <laughs> we were going in, in straight, remember the moves. Uh, I go into the dance floor, and, and usually I've danced for four hours before, but when you're on location, you were dancing for 20 hours and just keeping it going and keeping that energy up, so, yeah. So what, what's next for you acting-wise then? Um, acting-wise, I've been travelling and um, promoting the movie a lot. I'm also working on an own personal project um, with my wife, a documentary about my wife's father. He was the guitarist of a band called Chicago who yep. came to a very sad demise in 1979. So we're actually going back to explore his legacy and his, uh, his music. And we're making a documentary about that. But acting-wise, uh, I'm open to offers. Uh, so no, I'm just, we're working on pushing the movie just now and then get myself out there and get something else lined up. Cool. Rob? Uh, I'm working uh, as a co-producer with Andy Harris, the producer of The Queen, uh, on a Helen Mirren project. Uh, which you can't say anything about? It's set in Gaza, so it'll be controversial and it's a tearjerker. So like, like, <laughs> like, like Gateshead? Like, <laughs> like Gateshead. <laughs> um, and uh, moving quickly on, I think Irvin, what, what future projects? You've got Phil filming just now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fucked basically. I don't, know, I, don't know what, I don't know what's going on for me. Like, you know. Skag Boys um, comes out Skag April. Skag Boys is coming out. Yeah, we can yeah, fill I've in the gaps for you. coming out. I've got the, another film called The Magnificent Eleven, which is going to can the market. Uh, I've got Phil kind of uh, shooting just now. Um, I'm doing a, a TV series in America with HBO. Uh, I'm, uh, what else am I doing? Like, I'm doing this. I'm doing a, a big fucking glam rock musical fucking extravaganza. Shit, yeah. So loads, loads of shit basically. But yeah, it's like these things. You know, they, they come and go. You got to, you got to roll with it. Like, okay. Well, that's how we roll. Any questions? Anything people would like to ask our panel? Um, about the film or about their other work, um, feel free. Hello, I just wanted to ask about having to film in Canada. Was it due to the financial problems that you had to go and film there, or would you prefer to have filmed in Scotland? All yeah, the I have way, to be pretty careful about how I answer that, but um, yeah. we had approached yeah. Scottish Screen the first time in 2003, and I met Claire Chapman, who was head of uh, development at the time, and said, so what are you looking for? And she said, uh, a romantic comedy set in Scotland. I said, great. We've got one, and it's written by Irvin Welsh, called Ecstasy. And she's like, well, how'd you get that? She's like, well, it's just a film. We're, we're working it on as a co-production. So we had applied to Scottish Screen and Creative Scotland about six times, but I think their mandate at the time was 
they didn't want to make a film about drugs or ecstasy. So um, we explored every other region in the UK and um, tried to sh shoot some of it in the UK somewhere and get some funding out of it to help pay for it. So, uh, for example, last year or the year before Screen East, uh, their mandate was to give a maximum of 500,000 to a film, but somehow someone's friend got two million pounds and then the accountant who was working for Screenies took all the money and got arrested and thrown in jail. So it's difficult when uh, you know, you're trying to make a movie and there's all these politics on how decisions get made and a board of people are saying, well, do we want to make this film, this film, or this film? And so in the end of the day, you know, we had our financing together in September 2009 and our lead actress, Lisa Ray, had cancer. So we had to everything fell apart and we put it together again and uh, we just couldn't raise enough money in the UK to make it an official UK film. So we got the financing from Canada, shot some interiors there and then came to Amsterdam and Scotland to shoot the rest of the film. Just to finish off, I kind of uh, wondered what kind of things for all of you then are your dream projects? What would you rather be, you know, not rather be, but what would be the best thing you could be working on? Is there something, you were saying you're going to do another musical. I saw your previous one, Blackville. Um, although Vic Goddard did the songs for that, was Vic, that right? Yeah, 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 top guy. Um, you, what would be the big, you know, dream project for all of you? Would it be to work together or would it be a separate kind of thing? I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to work with Irvin again. He was great. Very supportive and sort of like a, an older brother kind of offering advice, yeah. guidance through these turbulent waters. <laughs> um, I'd love to work with Adam again any day. But, I, you know, it's just finding the right stories that somehow put a hook in you that you want to get married to for a couple of years that it takes to develop and find the financing and cast. It's, it's a lot of work. So it's just finding great stories and great stories well told will always have an audience. For myself, um, I think it's to, to just keep doing what I do. I, I've never worked a day in my life because this is what I do, what I love, you know, and it's to keep going. And I think I was very ambitious and had an ego when I was younger, but I've got kids now and a family and it's about keeping them and supporting them and pushing them forward in life. And if I can keep doing what I do and do this for a living, then I'm the happiest man alive. And so just keep plodding along. Um, yeah, I mean, basically what, what these guys said, like, you know, you kind of, you know, you, 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 want, you want to be involved in stuff that you're passionate about and doing stuff that you, you can really enjoy and all that, and um, I think that, that that's uh, that, that's the thing for me, it's like, just uh, find something that really interests and excites me, you know, it's like, I've got to get, I've got to get excited, otherwise, it's like, um, you know, there, there is, there is no, nothing, like, you know, it's just total excitement or, or, or nothing. So to me, I want to just be excited about stuff and get involved in stuff. Can I thank our guests uh, for coming along, Adam, Rob and Irvin, and wish them all the best with ecstasy. Can we have a big round of applause for them, please? Thank you. Thank you.